You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. But let's stand as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word together. What a joy it is that when we, when we come together here, we're, we're standing on the word of God. Let's hear what the Lord has to say. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. In the Greek, it says literally, You have answered straight, straight up. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, the lawyer, said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, your word is truth, and if we will receive it and, and live it, we will live forever with you. That much I know we hold in common. We believe in common, most of us in this room. But God, we know also that there are many times, like the lawyer, that we can have a dialogue with you, Jesus. We can have a dialogue in worship. We can have a dialogue in Sunday school. But we do not have lives that are filled with the Spirit and powerfully being used by you, Lord, for the glory of your kingdom. God, help us to change today and help us to become the children of God you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I said we're going to talk about the lawyer, but before we talk about the lawyer, let's talk just for a minute about the Good Samaritan. I know most of you are familiar with this story. You basically have two very religious persons who come upon a person in great need, and they're in a hurry, and they're moving along fast, and they go right past the guy in need. And then there's this guy, he's the Samaritan, and he's the one that stops, and he gives of his time and gives, even says, his money so that this, this hurting soul can be healed and helped and, and brought back to life, as it were. Now, I want you to realize that one element of this story is only one of the three people took the time to do the right thing, to do the gospel thing, to do the, um, the act that we would all consider an act of mercy, an act of, of true religion, James might say. If you remember what James talked about in terms of true religion, we talked about that last year. Um, only one person did that. Now, we need to pause and say, well, 
What's my excuse? Why is it that many times when there's ministry around me, um, I go to the other side of the road? I assume someone else is going to, to raise their hand and say, I'll help with that ministry or I'll sign up for that mission trip. How is it that, that I continue to do this? One of the reasons we do not participate in gospel activity is because of our time constraints. And we all have them. We all have a lot of things going on in our lives. But let me just challenge you. Sometime this afternoon, if you are brave, pull out your phone and look at your screen time from last week. And then let's have a conversation about being too busy to do gospel ministry, too busy to care for your neighbor, to have a conversation with someone at Walmart that you recognize is from your, your, your church or your community. I did that this morning, and, and I'll have you know, uh, before the New Year's resolutions all were, were made, one of the things I did, I took Facebook off my phone back a couple weeks ago, and I took um, all, I think Instagram or whatever it is, I took those things off. They were just a distraction to me. Felt like I wasn't, uh, wasn't using those tools. They are tools. They can be used for good. So I thought, you know, my screen time is going to go down. And it did. But it still added up to like something like a little over four hours a day of screen time. And I'm sharing that with you. And by the way, that went way down. So that tells you how bad it is. Now for me, uh, just, just for my defense, two hours and 59 minutes were just text messaging. So that's, I thought, that's stupid. I was text messaging for three hours last week. I only had 41 hours on my, or 41 minutes on my Bible app. My goodness, I said 41 hours. I'm trying to really be holy here. But anyway, uh, I, I, read, I read paper books most of the time. I'm a dinosaur. Forgive me for that. But the point is, when you start looking at the numbers, you know, used to, if you watched a bunch of TV, nobody knew because nobody had a, a, a stopwatch on it. Now on your phone, everything is counted. And if you want to see how unproductive you're being, just pull that phone out. Not now, because some of you already are on Facebook right now. I'd like for you to get off and listen to the sermon. But anyway, um, let's, let's just realize there is no excuse. When we talk about not having time to do the work of the kingdom, we are, just as the story says, we are like the Levite and the priest. We're just making excuses to go to the other side of the road instead of doing what God's called us to do. So let me just start this series by saying that. Whatever excuses you have for not doing what God has called you to do, you need to leave them here in this room today in the altar and asking God to show you that time that needs to be redeemed. Being a good neighbor is the most basic step towards being a good human being. It really is that simple. We, we need to be good human beings. Dave Runyon and Jay Pathak wrote a wonderful book on neighboring, and they say this, we don't love our neighbors to convert them. Now, that's okay if you do, but we love our neighbors because we are converted. You see, loving your neighbor is not just some kind of, uh, this isn't a methodology we're trying to, to give you just to be evangelistic, though we would love for you to be that. The key here is if you have Jesus in you, um, that, that means we need to be nice and kind and loving and gracious. It should not be unusual that we are kind to people. Um, I think Pastor Hosey, I've heard it said that, that many times he would tell people that if they were going to go to lunch after church to be nice to the waitress and tip them. And, and Hosey used to tell people, and if you're not going to do that, go home and eat a peanut butter sandwich or something, okay? 
Now, that's a truth. What a terrible witness if we go from this place and we are not loving and kind to the people we come in contact with. So being a good neighbor and being a good human being, it goes for your neighbor, but it also goes for you when you're at Walmart or Target or wherever you go uh, to get your junk, okay? All that stuff that we fill our houses with. Everywhere we go, there's an opportunity to be filled with grace and love. You know, Jesus came from heaven to earth, and he's only asking us today to go next door and share God's love with our neighbors. And that's it. That's what he's asking us to do. The lawyer here, uh, he knew the right answers. But here's the problem. He knew the right answers, but was he doing anything? So that brings us to this point. We know something good and are not good at sharing it. I think we need to be honest that most of us, it's not that we don't believe the gospel is good. The problem is the disconnect, the gospel disconnect is we don't feel good at sharing it. So if I were to ask you, well, since you're not sharing the gospel, does that mean you hate the gospel? I don't think any of you would say, well, yeah, I don't like the gospel. You're not going to say that, but you're going to say, yeah, I'm not sharing it. And, And I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm trying to empower you to make you see the problem isn't in terms of your belief. The problem is, is that the enemy has made you believe that that sharing the gospel is something that only people who study a lot or pray a lot or read a lot, that helps. But but any one of us, if we've been touched by Jesus, can be a kind message or messenger to others. Your faith will come alive along with your witness. If, if you see those two things as connected, I think you will do well. But ultimately, we need to understand today that the stakes are high. You know, Jesus is telling the lawyer, when he answers the question right, we'll get into this more, but in verse 28, he says to the lawyer, you've answered correctly. So the lawyer got it, got it right. But notice how he finishes there in verse 28. Do this and you will live. And the lawyer was asking specifically about eternal life. So that's what he's talking about here. How is it that we know that we're saved and that we're followers of Jesus? Well, we do what he commanded us to do. And that's the most simple element as we launch into neighboring. We need to understand this is not what the preacher says to do. This is not just a yearly emphasis. Jesus is telling us to love our neighbors well. And if we do this, we will live We will have eternal life, yes, but I think we will live. We'll have joy in our lives. A couple questions here for us to think about. First, is Jesus Lord or not? When we're talking about being a good neighbor, uh, I I need to just challenge you. I have to challenge my own heart, and we have to really believe that, that God is able. And putting Jesus to the test is part of this equation. Now, I want you to imagine trying to get ready for a big trip. If you've ever been on a big mission trip or you go on a big family vacation, especially I know moms, when you're packing for the kids, I mean, that's kind of a stressful thing and trying to get everything together. And then if like, if I, if my wife's getting uh, things together and I come in and start asking questions about dinner, um, I'm not well received, you know, just not well received. If, if, if she's busy getting things packed and getting things ready. Now, now think about this with me. When you look at the text, We often pull a story out, and we're not looking at the context. But in chapter 10, Jesus is preparing 72 men for a big-time trip. And the trip is a mission trip, uh, two by two, all over the land of Israel, going to share the gospel. So if you look at chapter 10, he's given instructions, he's teaching, he's discipling. And then right in the middle of this, right in the middle of the lesson, a lawyer comes up and says, Hey, I got a question. 
Now, the text says, if you look very carefully, it's a hint, but it's there. The lawyer stood up to put him to the test. There's just enough in those few words to tell us that the lawyer, though he was seeking an answer, he was being just a little bit pushy, a little bit edgy. But I want to encourage you in this way. If you're not a Christ follower, you can't push Jesus too far in this way. If you want to ask him some questions, he's always willing to answer. Here's the deal. You may be shocked what he has to say to you, okay? Jesus is never afraid of your questions. He created you, so he can certainly answer your questions. And in this instance, you'll notice that Jesus, Jesus is not perturbed by it. He doesn't come back uh, sassy or saucy or anything like that. He, he, he asks questions in return. He does what Jesus does. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus answers the question. And I believe that there's a lesson there. Another thing that's a lesson in this text, I believe, is that um, we need to do like Jesus and realize that many times our best witnessing opportunities aren't like put on the calendar, but they come to us in these impromptu situations. When you look at chapter 10, Jesus is like in session. He's teaching a lesson, and then he gets an interruption. But he uses the interruption to share the gospel and to give us one of the best gospel stories we have about the Good Samaritan. He was ready in the moment to share the gospel. Now, he's Jesus. He's better at it than we're going to be, but there is a lesson here. In fact, Peter picks up on this. 1 Peter 3.15. Hear this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always. Underscore that. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. A big part of being a good neighbor is being nice and kind and waiting for that moment where you can share the gospel. Kindness and respect and love and grace and then the opportunity. Now, when Jesus asked the question, about what it means to be a good neighbor. I mean, the, the answer is pretty simple. The lawyer, his question, how do, I, how do I inherit eternal life? The answer is pretty simple here in the text. Basically, it's have compassion, have a heart. Be like the good Samaritan and love people well and care for people. And we know that, that, that loving Jesus and trusting in him and following him, believing that he died on the cross for our sins, that's what saves us, okay? We understand that if you're a believer here today. But ultimately... You can know that. You can know that Jesus died for your sins and that he loves you, but then you can be pretty unloving to other people. And part of the story of the Good Samaritan is, is that the Samaritan, he was the outcast. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. He was the outsider, but he was the one that was sharing uh, his, of his time and his efforts. So let me just say this to you here. Um, what we see in the text is, is that even religious people, maybe even especially religious people, like to build walls between themselves. I mean, we see this in denominations. Well, I'm Baptist, you're Presbyterian, or I'm Pentecostal, you're Presbyterian, whatever it is. Uh, we, we tend to build walls. Let me say this. Any wall that keeps us from love and loving well needs to be torn down. 
Uh, this week I was reading this book. Uh, it was about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament by Jack Levison. He writes this. He says, the spirit outpoured tears down walls. So here's the deal. We see in the Old Testament that when the spirit is poured out on prophets, when it's poured out on kings, many times God uses that individual to break down walls and to bring the message of God to more and more people. And I believe that today, if you look at Acts chapter 2, we see as the spirit fell, the walls between different nations and tribes and tongues were broken down so that the gospel could be heard in every language. And I believe when the Holy Spirit falls on us in the days to come, all those walls will come down because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit breaks down walls. And as Jesus talks to this lawyer, he unpacks more and more of his truth. We don't know how the lawyer eventually responded. There is no rest of the story here. But it's very clear. I think at the end of this time of the lawyer talking to Jesus, he knew who Jesus was and he knew what he needed to do. Just like when we get to the end of our time here in a few minutes, you may know exactly who you are and what you need to do. But the question remains, will you do it? Do you believe is Jesus Lord or not? Let me just pause for a moment and say, you know, in this room on a cold, snowy day, many of you are the tried and true, the faithful uh, the righteous remnant who came out on a snowy day. Uh, you were raised in church. Uh, you're here when the doors are open. I get it. And I want you to realize this. Revival for you is, is not like, okay, I'm going to show up at church and Jeremy's going to preach a sermon and I'm going to hear something I've never heard before and I'm going to get excited about Jesus and, and get fired up because, because I learned something new in Sunday school or there's a new ministry paradigm, a new, a new focus this year. We are neighbors. That's going to change everything. Listen, that's not at all what happens when revival takes place. What happens when revival takes place are the things that you've heard for years that you know to be true that if I put you on the spot and said, do you believe this? You would say, yes, I believe this, but the difference is when revival happens, you start acting out on those things that you know. You begin to do what you know, and then you begin to live in a new strength and a new power. The problem in this room is not a lack of knowledge. It's not that you don't know what to do. It's just that Jesus has yet to be the full Lord of your life. You know what's right. You know what to do. Very quickly, the second question is, is the word clear or not? Pondering the text. Oh, we need to spend more time meditating on the word of God. Now, it's interesting when Jesus is asked the question, uh, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Inherit eternal life. He turns the question back on the lawyer, which is something Jesus often does. He often answers a question with a question. Master at making people think for themselves. And come up with their answers. And so the lawyer gives the answer. Now the answer is found there um, in verse 27. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now let me just quickly say this. That's like if we asked a question, um, you know, and, and you, you quoted John 3.16. And the point is this, this is a lawyer, and, and lawyer in the sense of he knows the law of God so well. You know, this is like a guy that's like a Harvard lawyer, only on the theological side. And just imagine, when Jesus asks him the question back, instead of coming up with some obscure verse, some obscure quote from an obscure 
uh, writer or theologian, he quotes back to Jesus basically the Shema, which is in Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and it is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And the Jews like to take the John 3.16 of the Old Testament and tack on Leviticus 19.18, which talked about loving your neighbor too. And so the idea was, what am I supposed to do to inherit life? What inherit eternal life? What can I do to be saved, love God, and love people? Pretty good, right? Pretty good mantra. Makes a lot of sense. But here's what I want you to get. The lawyer is not saying something profound. He's saying something that everybody knows. And just like today and in the Sundays to come, when Luke preached to you last week, we're not telling you any new information. We're not not giving you something that you've never heard before. But the question is, will you believe it and apply it and do it? You can read it. Jesus says, what is written in the law? Have you read it? Many of you might be able to brag that you've read through the Bible however many times, that every morning you have quiet time. I hope you do. But here's the deal. How many of you have had quiet time for months or years, but you're still not serving the Lord day by day, week after week? That quiet time, this worship time, our time together as believers, iron sharpening iron, as they say, it is not to be wasted, but it is to help us to become witnesses so that we can live John 3.16 out. We can share John 3.16 in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is the Great Commission. Listen, we don't need to get fancy, Ridgecrest. We just need to get busy doing what Jesus has told us to do. That's it. It's right here in the art of neighboring. Running and Patrick say this, it is, it's easy to become numb to the great commandment. If we aren't careful, we can take the most important teaching of Jesus and turn it into a catchy saying that we don't live out. And in doing so, we become immune to its impact on our lives and on the lives of others. I think the word was clear to the lawyer. Did he live it out? I do not know. I think the word has been clear to you too. Have you been living it out or not? The third question is, is your heart right or not? And this kind of hones in on the practice or the practicing of the truth. And this is, no pun intended, the heart of the matter. It really is about our hearts. I can't tell you how important I think it is to know God's word, to hide it in your heart. You might not sin against God. I can't tell you how important it is, as Kevin exhorted you earlier, Kevin Cook, to be a part of a Grow Discipleship group. We want you to learn the Word of God. But listen, what Ridgecrest needs, we don't need people who just know the Word of God. We need people who are living the Word of God. We need people whose hearts are right. And notice in this text, the totality of who we are as humans, our heart, soul, strength, and mind, should be engaged in loving God and loving people. In fact, the lawyer gets an A-plus on his exam. He answered correctly. And the stakes are high. This is what you're supposed to do to inherit eternal life. We cannot get past this. The double imperative Jesus gives. If you do this, you will live. We must internalize God's truth. Yes, hide it in our heads, in our hearts. But we must perform it. We must do the work of the kingdom. Another book, A Placed for a Purpose, observes this. Jesus says we've got it all wrong. The question isn't who is or isn't my neighbor. 
which is what most people see when they see the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The question is, how will I demonstrate neighborly love and prove to be a neighbor? Is there any proof that you are a good neighbor? Is there any evidence that you are a professing, let me, let me emphasize that word, professing Christian? When people talk about your faith, do you answer, I go to church? Do you answer with, I give tithes and offerings? Those, those are good things. But the question is deeper than that. That, that doesn't mean you love Jesus anymore by being in a place on a Sunday or by writing a check to an organization, to a, to a, to a church or to this. As the year ended up, many people were, were giving to charitable organizations, all really good. And those are good things and they, they make you feel good and you feel like you're, you're joining with people that have a, a good purpose. That's all really good. But I want you to know this, love is spiritual action. And what that means is it has to be more than a moment in your checkbook. It has to be more than attendance in, in your small group or in a discipleship group, it means that you are actively loving people with the love of Jesus. True love is a spirit-empowered endeavor. Only the Holy Spirit can give us the power to do this. And so when we start talking about in the days to come what it means to love your neighbor, one of the things we tend to do is we tend to get a little bit uh, sideways, a little bit nervous about sharing our faith. And, and, and you know that that fence between you and your neighbor, um, in our neighborhood, we can only have the little four-foot-tall fences. And, and, you know, one of our neighbors has a dog uh, the size of a dinosaur. I'm talking about one of the big dinosaurs. We call it the big brown dog. And the big brown dog is so big that I think it can just literally, you know, just lay over the fence and come on over. Um, my dog is terrified. My cat isn't. My cat isn't scared of anything. But... But, you know, that, that fence, it's a four-foot fence that the big brown dog can jump over in one little leap. But that, that fence, and, the, and it doesn't have a gate on our side, but um, that, that, that seems to be a barrier sometimes that might as well be a 20-foot-tall wall with, with uh, you know, like a prison concertina wire on the top of it or something like that. How are we going to get over that wall this year, brothers and sisters? Well, love is the key to evangelism, and the gate between you and your neighbor may be locked at present, but I promise you, love is the key. And if you'll surrender your heart to Christ, if you will do more than just say the right things or think the right things, but do the right things, this can happen. Let me point out something to you. I, I referenced it earlier. Verse 28, when the lawyer answers correctly, Jesus says, you have answered correctly. That word correctly there is the Greek word orthos, which means straight. So have any of you ever been to the orthodontist? Ortho, right there. It means straighten up your teeth, right? Okay, straight teeth. Um, this is a straight or correct teaching. So the lawyer is straight in his theology. But here's the deal. That's a good thing. Sharing the gospel, it does require us to understand the gospel. But the, the, the way Jesus is saying this, I want you just to imagine, like the way this room is, other than the light shining in my face, I have a direct line of sight on every one of you, okay? A straight shot that you can see me and I can see you. Well, that's what good theology does. It just gives us a straight line to people. When we know the truth, what it does, it breaks down the clouds and the barriers and the walls that keep us from being able to reach people. Because you can tell people anything you want, but people don't need to hear your opinions. They need to hear the gospel. 
And good theology gives you a straight, correct line of, of sight. We pray that you have that. But are you going to share it? Do you believe? Is your heart right or not? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.